0: So welcome back to a special episode of the Drill to Detail podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Whitman. So I'm joined today by Seth Rosen, founder of HashPath, to talk about coronavirus and what it means for the analytics industry. So, Seth, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us during these crazy, unprecedented times
1: yeah think thanks a ton for having me it's It's definitely unprecedented and surreal, but also I'm a huge fan of the podcast so i'm just I'm excited to talk to you and beyond.
0: Excellent. Well, I mean, we met back in um, what must seem ages ago now, back at joining in uh, San Francisco. And I remember thinking what you were doing was interesting at the time. So, you know, in a way, it's a bit of an excuse to get you on the show and talk about actually what your company does. But, you know, this is such a, an unprecedented, amazing, crazy time at the moment that, um, you know, we both run businesses. We both kind of obviously... Um, work in this area. I'd be interested to think about how coronavirus and and the impact of it on the economy is going to affect what we're doing. Um, So maybe just start off though, Seth, by just talking about um, what you do at the moment, your company, and um, I suppose how you got into that um, line of business.
1: Yeah, awesome. Sounds great. So HashPath uh, really started as a full service data analytics consultancy, I think a lot like your business. And we have since evolved into Part consulting company, part product company. So we have a couple of different products that we build and invest in, and really, uh, kind of pre-coronavirus and, and still post, think about our consulting business as a way to bootstrap the products that we're building in the analytics space. Um, and and we, when we got started, uh, it really was just uh, a consulting business, and now we've since since evolved. The main inflection point was when I, you know, convinced my older brother after 20 years to. To leave his job at Oracle and, and come on board, he's a software engineer, and so now we run the business together. So it's half half family business, which is also adds a unique wrinkle.
0: Okay, okay, and so I've mean, noticed Oracle is uh, is your father's background. So um, I mean, that's my background as well, more in the partner space than uh, than actually working for Oracle. But it must be. I mean, must, it's quite a difference, isn't it? Really, quite a different world and quite a different sort of, um, I suppose, ecosystem. Really, uh, we work in now.
1: To- totally different ecosystem, and I think. For him, it's just been able. He's been able to learn, learn a whole bunch of new businesses, learn new skills, uh, but also bring a lot of bring a lot of his knowledge. And he was a software engineer, so bring that knowledge to what we're doing in the data analytics space, and that's allowed us to also build our our couple software products, which which has been been great.
0: Okay. So to sort of, I suppose maybe to set the context for this conversation, let's talk about what we were doing um, prior to the coronavirus outbreak. So just talk, tell us a bit about your, 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 the, com- the product your company uh, is building and the type of customers you work with and on what led to this product. So give us some flavor, really, for what you're, um, what you're doing before this.
1: For sure. So our product was called White Label Data. And what it basically allows companies to do is productize and share their data with their customers, basically build this really quick data site that's fully branded, that allows their customers, partners, clients to log in and access their data. You know, one of the things, as you know, and and all the listeners know, stuff in data analytics is super easy. You can connect all your data, you can uh, do a bunch of transformations, you can do some dashboarding, and there's really great tools in the market to let you do all that. If you then want to now build an app around that uh, and productize it, do user onboarding and have, um, you know, maybe add a custom feature that you need to do, that now requires software engineers to do it. You have to build an app. Sometimes you have a SaaS app and you can just throw it in and that's great. But a lot of times you don't have anywhere to put this. Does is it allows people like me, that aren't necessarily software engineers, but are semi-technical and understand data and can you know, build dashboards and write SQL to build these fully custom white label branded sites. And so we do a couple of things. We work with Looker, so you can use Looker iframes and the Looker API to build kind of rich interactive experiences. But then you can also go directly down to your raw data sources and query Snowflake, BigQuery, Postgres, et cetera, and, and build um, some really powerful powerful branded customer-facing analytics applications.
0: Okay. And so who what kind of customers are buying this then? Who is your, I suppose your target market and the problem yeah. you're looking to solve for them?
1: Yeah, for sure. It's it's a good question. I think I think one of the good things and the challenges, it's a very long tail, right? So companies that want to share data externally, that's a that's a pretty long tail of use cases, right? But it runs the gamut from agencies that maybe want to build a portal for their clients. Maybe they're a digital advertising agency they are doing a whole bunch of work for their clients and they want to um, basically build a, a stickier experience and then give them the data that their clients need. Uh, a lot of times agencies will ship stuff over in Excel. Maybe they'll give their clients direct access to a, uh, a dashboard. A lot of them using Data Studio. Some of them are using Looker and others. Um, and so what, what our product would allow an agency to do is kind of quickly build their agency portal and have clients log in, and do self-serve analytics in a way that's completely branded towards their, toward to their agency. Uh, Another couple examples would be, you know, a customer success team that, you know, maybe you work for a SaaS company and you're sharing tons of data with your customers. It's not necessarily embedded analytics because it's, it might be a different stakeholder in the company, uh, but you want to kind of build insights.yourcompany.com or reporting.yourcompany.com and allow customers to log in and get the data they need. That's another use case. And the last use case that I think is a good example is, let's say you sell data. If you're selling, you know, location data or you're selling um, some data to supplement uh, your own internal analytics, you can use white label data to uh, basically give an example about what your data set can do. And so when you're demoing what your underlying data can do, you have this experience, it kind of looks like a SaaS application, uh, where you can kind of show off uh, exactly what your data can do. So those those are a few of them. It's a long long tail use case, and and we're working hard to kind of um, document and explain some of the some of the possible ways people can use our software.
0: Okay, and actually, I looked through your documentation earlier today, fair enough, and and I was impressed with how I suppose polished that was as well. So it's you know it's not just I suppose consulting where you've got here, is it? It's an actual product you're building.
1: For sure, and I think it it was fully. The genesis of it, it's fully evolved from consulting. And so, you know, one of the things that we were doing is, you know, my background's product, uh, we do analytics, Josh's background software. So we were taking on these projects that really were custom, customer-facing analytics projects. And so we started to see a whole bunch of commonalities between them. And we said, there's got to be a bit better way. And so the first iteration of our product, quote unquote, was really just internal tools for ourselves to do this faster. And as we got a new customer requirement, we'd add that back into our, our own internal tool set to allow the next project to go faster. And that's why, you know, if you were looking at our documentation, you see we support a whole bunch of stuff. We support Looker and Chartio and Periscope and Snowflake and BigQuery. And all of those uh, connections just basically grew organically from customer requirements, including all the other features that it, that it has. And then we reached a point where we were Doing hybrid, where we would do consulting and then also license our software in combination. And now we've been able to fully move where we have customers only licensing the software. And so we still are operating under all three models. Some some of our work is true fully consulting. Some of it's consulting on top of white label data, and some of it is uh, customers building themselves with white label data, which has been awesome. Awesome to see people doing it on their own. Obviously, we play a support uh, uh, we play a support role there, but they're off and you know, building their own stuff on our tool, which has been really exciting.
0: Okay. So give us a sense of the, I suppose, the the size, trajectory and so on of the business. I mean, is it something that is is VC funded? Is it funded out of the the consulting you do? How much uh, what, what was your growth like at the time this all happened really?
1: Yeah, good question. So we are, you guess you could call us fully bootstrapped. My background has been working for a bunch of VC funded companies and I think I personally just have a lot of scar tissue around it. It's a, it's a great model but we were excited about the fact that we could build a profitable business with consulting and then be able to invest in this product and grow it organically and so you know it had just been our focus of you know every month can we just slowly change the percentage of our revenue that's service versus product and so we've just been you know heads down trying to change that percentage over time so that it becomes a little bit more recurring and sustainable and so um you know have we talked about trying to raise money we we've, we've definitely talked about it we think about it um but but we we do get excited about the fact that you know we can somewhat control our own destiny but we have slower slower growth trajectories and you know could could end up you know it'll transition to the next stuff we're about to talk about it could could end up being a negative too just because we're we're bootstrapped at a time like this
0: just tell us a bit about how so tell us a bit about how you found out about what was going on with coronavirus and what was, your, what was the immediate impact on you and your thoughts and, and, and actions at the time?
1: Yeah, uh, so, I mean, we had been somewhat monitoring it. Um, you know, my wife is just a, a germaphobe through and through. And so she actually was monitoring uh, coronavirus for some time just as it was spreading through China and we were talking about it. And I think one of the things that's been interesting is I'm, I'm active on Twitter. And I think people that are active on Twitter saw it coming a little bit before maybe not not a ton before but i remember when i first saw the tweets coming out of italy uh you know i was at i was up at night i did some some panic shopping um that's why i still have toilet paper right now right and kind of just just like this is going to be bad i remember waking up and and saying to you know my wife this is going to get really serious really quickly and and had a little bit of time i think to kind of panic before um you know, everyone was panicking, and that that did help me from a business perspective too. Just because we were able to to think about things and then kind of get back to a level head where we could kind of make make some decisions about what we were going to do or not do because of it.
0: Okay, I mean, my my wife actually is a pharmacist as well, and so um, uh, and we actually were in Italy. We were in Italy about two weeks before it all kind of kicked off. So we were over there for her birthday. For went to Rome and um noticed there were um, a few people wandering around with with face masks on people from china and um and it was starting to get in the news at the time then as well we came back obviously and um things were starting to get in the news over here and actually i think it was the thing that for me really brought it home that there was something happening was i think it was a it's actually um the new york times daily podcast to listen to and there was an episode in there when um there's a scientist on talking about this is going to be serious you know um and but I think what, what's been, I think there was a lot. People were saying well, you couldn't you couldn't have anticipated it happening, and people did predict. People did talk about um, about uh, uh, epidemics and so on, and and but that what people didn't think about was the effect of closing down, effectively closing down all commercial activity for um, a period of sort of months. And I don't know what it's like in in the states and Canada and so on at the moment, but over here, it's everything is effectively closed. What's it like? What's what's the what's been the impact in terms of the commercial activity where you are?
1: Yeah, it's been it's been the same. I mean it's we're we're in Boston, everything is shut down. We have you know a lot of restaurants, even though restaurants can do delivery and takeout, they're closing. Um, you know, really really across the board everything is is shut down. It's good because people are obeying, you know, the distancing and, and doing what they have to do to kind of slow the spread, but it's it definitely feels totally surreal and shut down. But then you walk around the neighborhood and you see kids outside and people on their porch and and people really are, we're talking to our neighbors more than we ever had. So it just, it's a really, it's a, it's a, I think, surreal time in Boston, um, and like you said, totally unprecedented.
0: So, so I think for both of us, the most important thing is your family and, and your health and so on. I mean, so h- how has it been for your family and and I suppose maybe be kids being off school and 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 how did you kind of make sure that everyone was safe first of all and yourself as well?
1: Yeah, no, thanks for asking. We're we're all good actually. My wife, who is in healthcare, she'll have to go back. She's on maternity leave, um, so we have a you know an eight week old here. You might hear them hear her in the background here and, and a toddler running around so we've been hunkered down together she'll she'll have to go back to work and i'll have both of them so that's a whole different different wrinkle when that happens Uh, but we're safe we're doing good uh josh who i mentioned who i run the business with my brother his wife's a doctor he's got three kids out of school so now he has them full-time um while he's while he's uh you know working working on hash pass. so those are the wrinkles luckily you know so far you know knock on wood you know everything's fine but we are um you know definitely just just People issues that come up that you don't you take for granted when everything's good that you know now you we have to do a bunch of things at the same time.
0: Okay, okay. So getting to the I suppose the 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 thing that as business owners we have to sort of think about is pipeline cash flow and so on. And, and certainly for myself, the first thing I did when I realized that this was serious was was work through cash flow. You know, work through some scenarios. Work out if we had to close the business today and couldn't do any billing what would how long would we last for um and then various various scenarios that are less and less kind of i suppose extreme where you know and i think the one that i kind of worked to in the end was was um we wouldn't get any kind of new sales for example for for a while i mean what for for yourself how did you do that initial planning and i suppose disaster planning and making sure that the business is going to survive for the next kind of period of time
1: yeah good question i think the main things we did was we just said okay we need to just now fully commit to our current customers and making sure that we can prove to them that we're able to execute on these projects through this, you know, distraction, you know, as an understatement, right? To prove that we can execute, right? Because companies are thinking about, hey, how do we cut here? Where can we save money? And, you know, for if you have a consultant that is distracted because of world events, it's it's justifiable, right? There's no no one's gonna knock you for for having other things going on. But we said one, we just have to commit to current in-flight work and you know deliver it to the best of our ability to uh, you know try to preserve those projects that are in flight. And then two, we said we have to now I think commit a little bit more to filling the top of our funnel with with different leads. Uh, You know, we have been fortunate in that we've been in a very, um, you know, favorable business climate, and we have really good partners and referrals, and and our business was able to run based on you know inbound. And we said, okay, let's figure out a way that we can start generating more pipeline um, to to kind of add add in that cushion. So we've we've been doing that over the past couple of weeks, and we're going to continue to do even more marketing and content and put things out to try to. Um, you know fill the pipeline and give ourselves the wiggle room uh, that we need we definitely have had customers pause right right away a couple of customers paused and um, not unexpected right I think one of the one of the things that you know has kind of struck me is just the 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 luck or unluckiness that a company has based on this certain companies have gone to zero and certain companies are skyrocketing right and so you know one of the companies we were were with they just they they went to zero based on this and um you know it was not it was nothing about their business or how healthy their business was it just happened to be in a specific you know industry that is you know now getting zero traffic so so it it's um you know i think we're we're fortunate in that we can work across all of those and try to you know um you know find the industries that are still uh, spending money and investing and need help um and uh from that perspective i think it's 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 lucky that we're able to diversify that way
0: yeah definitely i mean it's it's so i think probably both of our customer customers are generally <clears throat> online businesses they're basically digital i think it, it, well, certainly for ourselves our customers are are almost all um online digital um they're they're in a position where they can continue to work obviously um but then it's it's the thing it's the second order things that are interesting i mean for example a lot of our customers are, are online businesses, but they're, um, they're kind of venture funded. So maybe they're expecting to get their series A, their series B at the end of the year. Suddenly that's not going to happen this year. And that means they have to kind of get their own way to extend. I mean, have you found that as well, that the business itself might be sound, but their funding plans might be um, out the window?
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. And I think that's kind of some of the discussions we're having now with a few of our clients is, you know, they're thinking about, how do they just extend that runway, like you're saying, just in case, right? Because there's a plan, they have a certain burn rate, you know, how do they lengthen that burn rate, so or lengthen that runway, reduce their burn so that they can, you know, have, have more cushion built in. And I think it's, it's the prudent thing to do, and they should be doing that. Um, but that means they're looking at all their costs and trying to figure out, you know, where are the, where are the, what are the things they can do to make that happen?
0: However, analytics is not a cost. Uh, and the thing that we need to be we need to, we need to be very kind of clear on and understand is that what we do is not just a cost and and a, a burden and so on. The stuff that we do for companies is what's going to get them out of this position or at least give them a route out of this position. And so, uh, as we both know, that um, there may be certainly I'm finding that there's an initial. I think companies at this moment are just kind of taking stock, and and some of that. I mean, they could be themselves having issues with the you know, staff maybe can't come into work and. There's a, there's a justifiable element there of 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 um, just kind of taking stock for a little bit of time. But are you finding that actually there's demand coming from those customers or other customers for your services at the moment?
1: There's definitely demand, and I think I think you're right um, that analytics is not just a cost, and there's there's value that I think companies like ours can add to actually help you be more efficient, and that's that's what we're talking about. How do you build a data analytics stack? That is the most cost efficient. You're build, You're picking the right tools for the right job that are going to get you. You know, may, maybe you would have made a slightly different decision in terms of a vendor or decision or how much data you're moving or or something. You may maybe you would have made a slightly different decision, but can you still, you know, do that project, pick the right tools, and make the investments you want to invest in? And so we're helping we're helping companies, you know, make those decisions and and figure out the right. The right path forward, and then the other part that we talk a lot about in terms of hiring consultants is, you know, a lot of times you can save on, um, you know, employee costs. Maybe you have a a full time analyst that you had a job description out for, and now you know you're on somewhat of a hiring freeze, but you can now work with a smaller analytics consultant to come in, and you know, maybe it's a, a shorter term thing, so you don't have the, the the full year salary to worry about, or it's a Uh, a small project you can carve out. I think that we can, as consultants, add value there where we can help you pick the right tools, make the right decisions to be cost effective, and then also help you with short term, medium term projects that you might potentially not be hiring full time for.
0: Exactly, and we'll get onto that in a moment. Put um, in a bit more detail, I think, towards the um, sort of second half of this. Um, so, uh, one thing that I think has been quite encouraging is um, separate from um, the businesses and so on we're working with, but how the data analytics, I suppose, community has has stepped in, and I suppose the the, the role of the role of data analytics can can have in trying to address. Um, you know, trying to find a cure, trying to help people organize themselves, and so on. I mean, how's it been in the has it been in the states really in your area around people using data analytics and, and helping out to, with this kind of thing? Really,
1: yeah, it's been it's been remarkable to watch. And you know, as someone that you know, we've been been crazy busy with with the two kids in the business. I've had I've had FOMO over it, watching what people are doing with with all of the data and the stuff that that they're able to produce. It's it's been um, really quite something to watch just in terms of all, across the board, right? Uh, you know, just basic dashboarding around, you know, the curves and the counts and, and you know, keeping track or, or, you know, projecting various things like, um, you know, ventilator availability. It's been, it's been really kind of the, the mobilization has been um, really quite impressive.
0: Yeah, interesting. Although, I mean, I suppose I suppose there's another angle to this as well, which is we've got a lot of amateur um statisticians and amateur analysts now potentially using data and these data sets that are out there to try and come up with some answers who I suppose don't have the training, don't have the kind of the understanding of how data works. I mean, you know, as someone who has worked in this area for a long time, any thoughts around that oh, and the suppose dangers in, in um in coming to conclusions from the data that maybe isn't warranted?
1: yeah i think there's there's a ton of danger in that i think that the benefit probably outweighs the the concern it's a, it's a it's a big concern i think that you anytime you read anything online anytime you look at any data anytime you see any analysis you have to figure out okay who is this person telling me this are they trustworthy and there's i think there was some you know some prime examples of this of, of people that put stuff out there that was proven to be incorrect and false and and misinformation and that's unfortunate. But I think, you know, everyone, everyone's coming together uh, to try to help, not just, you know, on the data side, but figuring out how do we get masks for everyone? How do we, um, you know, get, get funding here? How do we just raise awareness of something that's happening that needs to be bubbled up to a, a local politician? And all of that stuff, I think, really comes together as, you know, something where people are just trying to, trying to, do whatever they can to help and i think that's a that's a really positive.
0: Okay. So i mean i mean during so during this period then when you know you're working from home i think i saw a comment i think you made or someone made saying that you know we we're at home working from home but it's not normal times. You know it's not like this is we're working from home normally and 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 the coffee shop when the corner is open and the kids are at school and so on. I mean how much pressure are you putting yourself under and how is your working style and your company style changed over this period? Do you try is it business as usual or Is this sort of different than how you're trying to work?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, we were always fully remote. So we've never had an office. We've been a fully, we're we're all in Massachusetts, actually. So we're able to meet up. We don't do that anymore, but we've always been remote. So we've had a remote culture where we are, um, you know, using various tools, video conference, Slack, et cetera, to do it. This is way different. This is not like it was before, Uh, just in terms of people's anxiety, the distractions at home. you know, it's just, you may, you may have thought you were going to be available for something and then something pops up. And so one of the things we've done differently is we have a lot more, and people have been talking about this, right? A lot more asynchronous communication where we'll record a short video, throw it over. So someone can, can watch it and reply back rather than banking on having, you know, a specific meeting time, things like that have changed a lot. Uh, the, the, the actual hours that we're working in terms of, um, probably both quantity of hours and also the, 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 throughout the day, what times we work, that's changed for us just based on other responsibilities. And so it's definitely, if this is your first taste of work from home, and a lot of people are saying this, it's not, this isn't what it's usually like, maybe it'll get a, a, a bad rap for that. Um, but it's, um, it's been an adjustment even for companies that are, are used to working for home.
0: So how have you how have you found trying to work on projects with customers now then because uh, uh, we you know you're fully remote we've worked remote in the, remote in the past um, our customers not necessarily do that and uh, how, how have you found um how effective has it been trying to run projects or to get things to happen over this period um in, in your opinion
1: yeah that part that part feels um, somewhat similar i mean i think you know there's the you know, first few minutes of every call that are just talking about, Hey, how are you doing? This is crazy. You know, there's, there's, there's that. And you know, everyone is, you know, whereas before maybe we would be on a call and they'd be all in a conference room together. We have everyone on a zoom, you know, separately, but, but that part's felt normal. I feel like, you know, that when the meetings happen in the client meetings, um, there's some, you know, there's just uh, the general sense in the air that things are different, but that part is, has actually felt fairly normal.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, so you said earlier on that you know, one of the responses you've had to this is to double down on the consulting side um, and your existing customers. So 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 with the so it's interesting that you say the consulting side, because it, you, another angle, I suppose, with this would be to say that this is a naturally quiet period. Now's the time to invest in the product because you can actually spend some time doing that. What 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 led you to the balance you're going for really there? And is it just pure cash or, or is it what's your thinking around that?
1: Yeah, I mean it may it may end up being what you suggested. I think if if that's the case, we will definitely embrace that and invest more in the product. I think we want to you know, we just want to make sure that we have a healthy business and you know, we don't go we don't go, you know, too far in one direction. I mean ev- every part of me, you know, as kind of like a, a a product manager and someone that really believes in what we're building, every part of me just wants to go all in and just build our product, and just spend all our time doing that, and that's what we get so excited to do. Uh, not that we don't like our client projects; we like them, but but we just want to make sure we have a healthy business first and foremost. And once we do that, we'll feel comfortable, you know, working with contractors to make go faster on the product development side, and you know, invest in marketing and marketing collateral. And so um, it's just been one of the things that we've always felt is important: is let's have a healthy business first. And then and then go from there. If, if that doesn't happen and, you know, we are left with all this time on our hands, then we'll, you know, we'll use it wisely and we'll, you know, invest in our product and, and go even further. But I think I think if we have a healthy business, we can actually invest in our product more. And so that's hopefully the, the direction that this goes.
0: So when do you think uh, something I've I've been struggling with is is when is it when is it an appropriate time to start doing some marketing in this situation? So I think everybody uh, everybody sent out those uh, those continuity of service while COVID nineteen emails out, which I think in to a certain extent almost became like the GDPR ones that were went out a while ago when you had so many of them out that it became almost like spam. But yeah, there there comes a point at which you you are going to have to go out and find. New customers, um, and also there is a a there's there's a there's a role for the services we provide. Um, when did you have you thought about when is a good time to start marketing? When is inappropriate? When is appropriate? And how that form might take really?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I and I think you know there's there's uh, a couple different approaches. I think I think the main question is what what really is is marketing, and it could be a lot of things, right? So some of the stuff we're going to do is you know, we're going to, we're going to be on a podcast, I think in the next couple of weeks, it's not a podcast, a webinar, um, where we're going to talk with other small business owners about what, how we're dealing with, you know, very similar to this, this podcast. Right. And that's, you know, that's not marketing, but it's, it's being active. It's talking about your business. It's, you know, helping other people. And and so we're going to start doing that stuff immediately. Um, we're also, you know, doing various things like, but going back to, um, you know, talking about kind of using data for good. We went in and we hooked up to the, you know, the BigQuery public data set for COVID. We wrote a little looker block. We built a little app to show Massachusetts specific data for COVID. Um, And so those things are, you know, it was, we wanted to, we wanted to, you know, look at the data for Massachusetts. We wanted to share it. So people had it, but also that's also part marketing, right? Just doing things that are, you know, generating some buzz. And I think we'll continue to look for creative ways to not, you know, slam marketing down, you know, uh, at people, but still be active and talk about our business and, and in ways that is constructive and helpful. And that's kind of how we always have thought about it, but we'll just, we'll just keep doing more of it
0: okay i mean one thing to bear in mind i think with 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 we've been in this industry for a while and i suppose we're people that have um a bit of experience and a bit of um having this hasn't completely faced us but there are people who work in our industry who um or people we kinda come into contact with who would, would be nervous and would be I suppose wary of what's gone on and 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 kind of anxious. Is there anything that you can think of or you've done that just to reach out and help people in our industry um, over this period when yeah, this can be quite a scary time for people and quite an anxious time?
1: Yeah, to, to definitely scary, definitely anxious. I mean, the only thing that I could say that's helped me is just ha- we, I have way more conversations with people about this, mm. you know, and about mm. about how they're dealing with it, the ways they're managing their business or doing their job, and being kind of open about it, having those conversations with maybe people that have gone through similar things, maybe in you know 2008 or, or at other times in their life. And, and I, I think people are doing that. I think there's a lot more conversations happening about mm. how do we deal with this? How do we get over it? Whereas if it was something smaller or not as big, I think people might not share and not collaborate. Mm. But I've had people reach out to me on Twitter and to talk and you know, we'll jump on a Zoom call, and that that kind of mm. back and forth, I think, just really helps people put things into perspective, and also, um, you know, get through difficult times just by by talking and and sharing different stories and, and anecdotes.
0: Okay, okay, and I think we looking beyond. I mean, like all things, all things come to an end at some point, and the situation we're in, it's probably not going to be finished in the next kind of few weeks, but there will be a time when this is over, and. Um, I suppose in a way, you know, what do you think, what do you think are the opportunities for growth and, and, um, for scale and, and, and where do you think the opportunities for analytics is going to be really in the future and where do you think your product is going to be driving that and part of that in the future?
1: Yeah, really good question. I do think things will come back to normal. I think it's an opportunity for companies that are, you know, able to kind of ride through this and stay focused that there really will be. Opportunity that kind of comes out of this to you know as kind of growth comes back to the market to to ride those tailwinds and be in a good position and so we're trying to put ourselves in the best possible position to be able to do that in terms of our product I mean I think you know and I think people that listen to this and 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 you would agree that data is not going anywhere people are continuing to to invest in their infrastructure and their analytics capabilities it's only going to become you know more important in um, in the future, in terms of our white label data product, you know, one of the things we always talk about is let's say you're a SaaS company and you're trying to move up market to the enterprise. Well, one of the things that you really want to have in your product is be able to say, Hey, we have all this analytics that's available for you. Right. And so if you're now a a SaaS company, maybe you're, um, you know, you're trying to figure out kind of how to grow faster. We think we have opportunities to help you add features to your product to to, uh, kind of, Make your customer facing analytics more robust so you can actually move up market and differentiate from your competitors. And so I think we can use some of those um, some of those kind of uh, competitive um, talking points to to try to you know grow grow and kind of kind get the momentum of, of the market back in our favor when it happens.
0: Okay, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think a lot of the things that customers were hesitating over, our customers, you know, everybody wants to hire their own team. Everyone wants to build their own data team, and and a lot of customers I work with or potential customers were holding on for that kind of that that unicorn hire that someone there was someone to come in and build their team for them and so on. And that's not going to happen at the moment. People aren't going to be moving jobs. Um, people are going to be more cautious about that. And I think that the you know the the to, to my mind it'd be a much clearer um, decision now about. Out, well, look, we can't do that. Let's build a team with the assistance of someone like ourselves let's um you know use your product embedded in our sas rather than build it ourselves. I think it will really kind of bring to a bring to a quick close some of these decisions that were people were kind of prevaricating over um and especially when you've got to get things done, but there's less money around really as well
1: right and I fully agree with that and i think I think even during good times right we're we're out there trying to make that argument as well, right like if you work with someone who's done this same thing a million times. You can do it really quickly. You can do it faster. You can do it cheaper. It's great to have your internal teams and you should have it. But especially in these times, I think that there will be it maybe it may maybe we're in a little bit of a weird period here where everyone's kind of on pause, you know, kind of, you know, evaluating things, as you mentioned. Um, but as soon as people start looking beyond, I think they will be making those decisions. And, and that's our hope uh, for sure
0: yeah definitely I mean just go back to the point you said about embedding your product in uh, in saAS applications i mean that that to me is I think is quite a good opportunity and um, to tell us a bit about that again how how does your product work in that area and and, um, and i suppose on a I suppose on a commercial basis, how does that work really
1: yeah, good question. so one of the things that companies are always deciding between is you know are you going to build a completely custom thing into your application? are you going to embed a dashboard or are you going to um, you know, do something else? And, and, and so the way we think about our product is, on one hand, you have a complete self-serve dashboard that is fairly rigid and you can't quite change every single element of um, because you're limited by what the tool can do. And on the other hand, you have something that's fully custom. Maybe you've built something in React. We want to be directly in the middle so you're not um, you're not limited um, by the the rigidity of the dashboard and you're not building something completely custom and so our product has this it's essentially a low code syntax to build up a dashboard and so you can you know write a SQL query you actually get back the data you can map that to a visualization, but it's all code under the hood so you can you can customize and change virtually everything and so if you're embedding or or using the product in conjunction with a SaaS application, you have a lot more levers that you can pull in terms of look and feel and user experience that you may or may not have gotten with a fully embedded dashboard. Um, And you would have gotten it if you fully built a custom, but there's all sorts of things that you have to think about if you build a custom, not just the visualization layer, like the caching and the queries and the connections, and there's a whole bunch there that's happening under the hood. And so we feel like our platform is right in the middle between something that's kind of, you know, not customizable like a dashboard and something that's fully custom, like building it yourself or really this low code solution in the middle. And we think that that, makes a lot of sense uh, for SaaS and sharing data externally.
0: Interesting. And I, I noticed, obviously, I met you at the uh, Looker Join event. And so you, you're in an interesting position there, because uh, in some respects, you're a um, competitor for um, for embedded, embedded Looker, um, but also your product will source data from Looker, um, which I noticed today as well. I mean, how, how do you manage that relationship with Looker at the moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, we have a phenomenal relationship with Looker. And I would say White label data plus Looker is just a, mm. a really remarkable thing because you can use this. You can use this very unique combination of Looker iFrames and the Looker API to build these experiences, right? And, and Looker is unique from that perspective as a BI platform because they're not they're not necessarily just a dashboarding tool. They have this whole API layer where you can use your Look ML and your model to kind of do all the data work that you need to do, and then get back that data with the API. And so with our platform, someone that is not an engineer, again, like myself, because I was the Mm. original user that we were building this for, you can go in and say, okay, I want to put this iframe right here, but then I want to do something slightly different with Plotly using the Looker API here. Maybe I want to use Mapbox down here with the Looker Mm. API. And so you can leverage the entire Looker model uh, that you've built maybe reuse some of the dashboards for certain things and then build the custom stuff that you have to do custom. And all of that's done without writing any JavaScript or Python. It's just using our, our low-code uh, development environment. And so I think what, one of the reasons I think we're, you know, we're working so closely with Looker on it is because it, it just leverages everything that they do really, really well. And we're able to just enhance it just that much more by kind of being the last mile of how you actually deliver that to an end customer.
0: Okay, excellent. Well, look, how does somebody get to hear about, I get to see and play around with your product and maybe get a trial and so on. How, how would they find out more and how would they get a trial?
1: Yeah, that's awesome. They can just go to com and reach out to us. There's a little chat widget um, and we can do a demo and we spin up these instances really fast and people can, can play around with them and take it for a test drive. Um, so that just com.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, Seth, it's been great speaking to you. Glad to hear you're okay. And uh, it's it's kind of interesting, someone speaking to somebody in the same industry who's been through similar things. And um, yeah, I mean, life will go on. I think to treat this as I think to treat the situation that's happened as nothing is different is is wrong, and things will always be different after this. But the value of analytics and the value of what we do, um, and the nimbleness of our businesses and so on, I think is what'll keep us through really. And um, yeah, it's been great to speak to you.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Great conversation. Thanks a lot.